right, so this, uh, I handed an outline out and I told everybody that was here initially, this is everything that's on the screen. So you don't have to write down anything on the screen. It's right here, all of it. If you want to take notes on top of that, obviously that's up to you. But you don't have to write down uh, any additional things. And this is my last handout. Welcome. Uh, let's All right, so we're going to be discussing the topic of election, and this was a, a presentation I originally gave at, at Trinity Christian College when I was invited to speak to their theology club, but it was also personally requested during our new members class, so is, this is a hot topic. Uh, it's a difficult topic for a lot of people to grasp and understand, and um, I want to make sure we go nice and slow and clear at any time if you have any questions just raise your hand and we'll stop and, and we'll answer it or I'll just say we're about to get to that and then and hang on to it. So we're going to stop by, or start by saying the overall theme of Scripture is salvation through faith in Christ. Jesus Christ in the Old Testament concealed, in the New Testament revealed. God, God's redemptive plan is to redeem some of his fallen image bearers, and that plan is centered on the person and work of Jesus Christ. From the opening pages of Scripture in Genesis, we're, we're told this, that, that the, the redemptive plan of God will, will focus on the offspring of, of Eve, and um, that person, of course, is Jesus Christ. But not everyone is chosen. The Bible teaches us that some people are chosen or elected for salvation, while others are not. And those that God has chosen for salvation are called the elect. Now, God's elect are called at their appointed time. Um, in time and space, each one of us, as we know, are, that, are, that are called by God, it, it happens in, in a point in time. However, they are chosen before time, or uh, I use the phrase, in eternity past. Uh, the Bible says, before the foundation of the world. That's the biblical language. So although we are called at a certain point in time in our life, and in, in the time and the history of the world, we are elected or chosen before time in eternity past. So God's action of choosing who is elect and who is not elect before the foundation of the world, the Bible calls predestination. Now there are all kinds of definitions for predestination out there. Um, a lot of uh, scholars, and, and if anybody's written a systematic theology, they, they have their own definition for predestination. Nobody um, really denies predestination because the Bible speaks directly to it. But there are all kinds of definitions. I'm going to use a definition by a 17th century Dutch theologian and pastor named Wilhelmus Abrakel. And the reason I like his definition is because he's reformed, uh, he gets it right, and he also is clear and concise. He hits everything that he needs to say and nothing that he doesn't need to say. And that there are other contemporary definitions that I'm not 
so much a fan of, and, it, and if we get to that, I'll, I'll show you why. So I, I just like his definition because it presents it in the best way possible. So here's Brackle's definition of predestination, which is just a summary of what the Bible teaches. An eternal, volitional, and immutable decree of God to create some men, concluding them in the state of sin, and bringing them unto salvation through Christ to the glory of his sovereign grace. He simultaneously decreed to create other men, also concluding them in the state of sin, to damn them for their own sin to the praise of his justice. Um, the phrase concluding them in is uh, just a, a phraseology, a, a way of saying um, judging or deeming or reckoning or esteeming someone. So you'll, you'll see that there are two sides to that, that predestination coin. One to the glory of the sovereign grace, the other one to the praise of the justice. That, that's important to understand when we get to this topic of, of predestination. So hey, if you want to share with somebody, otherwise I can print out some more for next, next week, some more handouts. Well, let's look at some biblical evidence for this. Here's Ephesians 1.5. He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. That matches Abraham's definition. 1 Thessalonians 5.9. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. So you can see both of the, the sides of that coin there. The first one is predestined for adoption as sons, predestined to receive grace, and the other one is he has not destined us for wrath, which tells us what? Some are. Some are destined for wrath. We're not, but some are. And then Acts 13, 48, and when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord and as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. As many as were appointed, appointed by who? By God. Appointed by God believed. So predestination magnifies both God's grace and God's justice. And God must display the full nature of his character. And he does. And he will do so eternally through this doctrine. Uh, God's grace is most clearly seen against the backdrop of his, of, of his justice. Um, the, the illustration that's often used, I think I might have mentioned it a couple times, from the pulpit is, is the diamond on the black velvet. When a jeweler really wants to, to wow that young man going to look for the engagement ring, he pulls out the black velvet uh, cloth and he lays the, the cut or the loose diamond on the cloth and shines light on it. That's where it can, can be seen most brilliantly when, when you're seeing through it and the reflection and everything else. It's the same way. God's grace is seen most clearly and God's grace is displayed most clearly when you have also that backdrop of justice. What glorifies God is a, is a full display of his full nature for eternity. And in fact, you cannot have grace and mercy without justice, um, without justice and wrath. If there's no possibility of eternal punishment and wrath, then what is anyone saved from? Do we understand that? I mean, if there's nobody going to hell, 
then who's being saved and, and what are they saved from? There, there's no hell to be saved from if we're all going into heaven. So there has to be. There has to be both justice and wrath. So it's this eternal display of his full nature and character that ensures that he is never intended to, to save everyone. That would not provide an eternal display of his full nature and character. If everyone was saved and no one ever was punished for their sins, um, that would not eternally display his justice. There, there has to be both. In other words, there must be some people, there must be some sinners receiving what is due them. We're all sinners. Some receive what is due them. Um, so two parts to a Brackle's definition that we looked at, and it describes both election and reprobation, or salvation and damnation. So let's go to um, election. That's one side of the coin. This is again from a Brackle. Election is the foreordination of God, whereby he eternally, certainly, and immutably has decreed, immutably means unchangeable, to lead some specific individuals identified by name unto eternal salvation, not because of foreseen faith or good works, but motivated purely by his singular and sovereign good pleasure to the glory of his grace. That's election. Let's get some scriptural support for that. Colossians 3.12 Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. He's speaking to believers. They are God's chosen ones. 1 Thessalonians 1.4 For we know, brothers loved by God, that he has chosen you. God has chosen you. those who are in the Lord. Titus 1.1, Paul, the servant of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness. By the way, a little plug for the sermon there. Check that out. Knowledge, which accords with godliness. Knowledge of God's truth leads to right living. Godliness. So election pertains to specific individuals, specific people. One person put it this way. Jesus took names to the cross. Jesus didn't didn't die for everyone and said, well, I hope some people come to Christ. No, he knew who he was dying for. God, God the Father knew who he was dying for. God the Son knew who he was dying for. God the Holy Spirit knew. But his choice is in no way based upon either foreseen faith or good works. Now we'll talk about this more in a minute when we get to a verse that, that people often point to with a popular objection. But it's enough to know right now that God does not look down the corridor of time and see someone, um, let's just call them person A. God, God does not look down the corridor of time from eternity past and say, okay, there's person A. Oh, um, oh I see them being, someone's presenting the gospel to them. Oh, they're responding positively with faith. Okay, I'm going to elect that person. That's not what happens. Um, and it's the same thing with foreseeing good works. It's not as if God looks down the corridor of time at person A and says, oh, wow, they're, they're helping out with their mother and father as children. Oh, later on in life, they're, they're doing good works. They're donating their time. I see faithful church attendance. Okay, yes, I'm going to elect that person. That's not it. God's not basing his election 
on someone's for, foreseen faith or foreseen good works. It's according to his own purposes, which are unknown to us. In other words, there's nothing in us that moves God to elect us. We don't cause God to do anything. Election and reprobation are based solely on God's good pleasure and the purpose of his will. That's what Ephesians tells us, according to his good pleasure and purpose of his will. So the other side of the predestination coin, remember, is reprobation. Here's the Brackle's definition. The predestination of some specific individuals identified by name out of sovereign good pleasure to the manifestation of God's justice in them by punishing them for their sins. So everyone who's ever lived in the history of the the world and ever will live, they, they have been chosen for one or the other. It's not up in the air. It's not due to random choice. Um, that's, that's one objection that I heard one time from somebody who should have known better. They said, well, um, it's random. Um, it, it, we don't know what the purpose is. It, it's just random by God. No, it's not random. Um, I think of the, the bingo uh, tournament where there's this giant metal ball and all the, the numbers and letters are in them and somebody's cranking on it. And then after mixing them, they open the little door and they reach in and they say, uh, G8, and, and somebody yells bingo. That's random. God does not reach into humanity and pull out somebody's name and say, okay, they're, for, they're destined for salvation. Okay, it's not random. It's according to his purpose and will. He has a reason, but we don't know what it is. Secret counsel of God. We don't know what it is. We're not told. We may never know. But it's not that we are inherently good or bad. It's not our good works that cause God to save us. Can I ask a question? Yes. If you do a deep examination of your life and you try to, I would have to say, for lack of a better way, saying this, putting yourself in one of the two categories, Mm -hmm. looking at the fruit of your life, you know, like the repentance. It's, it's not like, is it right to, right to think it's not how much you repent of, of the wrongdoing, the things that offends God, that would put, that could maybe help you think, well, maybe I'm in this category or this category, you know what I'm saying? Because that one book I read, it said, we can't know who's reprobate around us. You know what I'm saying? And I would think, well, I'm, I'm going to try to determine that first about myself. You know? Yeah, so if I'm hearing you correctly, you're really asking the question about assurance, whether or not I personally am in Christ and therefore am I predestined, am I among the elect? I've always had this wrong thinking, I think, like, my, my last pastor would say, well, it's not how much you don't sin. Mm-hmm. In other words, like if I put the brakes on this particular sin in my life, that's like a form of me. Yeah, I heard you make a statement once in a sermon. Mm-hmm. You said, and it reminded me of a verse in the Gospels where it says, if your right hand caused you to sin, mm-hmm. cut it off mm-hmm. because it's better for you to 
not have that member or that we cast in the house. Right. But then you made that statement take radical steps to get rid of this, whatever this right. vice is. You right. You know what I'm saying? So I'm asking you to question that if you put it in one of two categories individually for each person here right. under the examination of your life in comparison to God's word, how do you, how do you come to that understanding? You know what I'm saying? I mean, I, do you get that assurance? Yeah, I, I think what you're asking is, can I examine my own life and based on the, the fruit or lack of fruit or based on some of the tests I see in scripture, can I determine with any certainty whether or not I'm elect? Is that what you're asking? Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, even using like some of the, uh, the churches, um, like the tool of the perseverance, like if you see yeah. strong perseverance okay. in, so in your it, life. If it is, if it's, a, if you're talking about examining yourself and and trying to know if you can have assurance or not, we're going to speak directly to that. And the answer is yes. Um, there, the Bible does give us grounds for us having assurance of our salvation, and thereby knowing that we're we're one of God's elect. But you you cannot. You're correct in saying you cannot scan the room and say, well, they're elect, they're not elect. I mean. And there's just no way. Um, the church can't do that. And that's why the church, as you know from the new members process, as an elders, as a, a board of elders, when people are admitted to the Lord's table, it's on the basis of a credible profession of faith. We're not looking into their hearts and, and determining with any kind of certainty whether or not they're in Christ or not. We simply have to, to say, does their life seem to match what the Bible says a Christian is? Or, or do they seem to know the gospel? Do they understand it? Are they professing it? Um, if so, praise God. Well, welcome to the church. That's, that's what as much as anybody can do. But we know also that, I mean, one of Jesus' 12 was not in Christ. Judas was a betrayer. We know uh, Simon the Magician in the New Testament in Acts. They baptized him. Was that a mistake? I hope we're not prepared to say that the apostles made a mistake in baptizing him. They baptized him on a credible profession of faith, but it turns out he was not in Christ. Yeah. So, um, I think if your question is asking, can I have assurance? The answer is yes, and we'll, we're we're going to cover that in detail. Okay. Yeah. Um, given that this dis- decision of which of the categories that each of us is in yeah. is made in eternity past. Yes. Can we do anything to change that? No. So if I'm in uh, the elect, am I automatically in Christ? Yes. Or do I have free will and I can get myself into reprobation? It is, it is as a brackle defined immutable. It is unchangeable. All of God's decrees are unchangeable. So, but you also remember that it's applied in time. Your, your, your effectual calling, when God calls someone into faith, that's, that's in time, which means there's a time in their life before that effectual calling when they were not in Christ, but they were still among the elect. They just hadn't been called yet. None, none of the benefits of Christ's atonement had been applied to them yet because they had not been regenerated and there was no faith. So if I died in that state, I was elect, but I hadn't been called into Christ yet, right. would I go to hell? Um, are you talking about a... If you were elect and you died in the state of 
way long ago. Yeah. But I hadn't. Uh, right. Nobody told me about Jesus. Right. I didn't know Jesus, but I, I wrote. Right. When I go to hell. Right. So God saves people through faith in Christ. So. I would say that, and I would also say this, Jesus saves all who are his. So you're kind of asking about an oxymoron. You're asking, am I, am I elect and yet not saved? It's kind of what your question is. You're saying, you're saying if I'm among the elect, but I, but I die before God saves me, and I guess I would respond by saying, God saves all his elect. So I don't, I don't think there's going to be a situation where God elects someone and then in time does not carry out his decree to save them. So if I'm an elect, one way or another, I'm going to get saved before I die. Yes. Awesome. So let go through the process. It, it goes through that process of believing and receiving the gospel. None of those pieces will be like that. No, but that's what he's saying. He's going to keep me around. Right. And, and we're talking about ordinary circumstances. We're talking about people with normal cognitive functioning. As soon as we get into infants who die before birth, as soon as we get into people who are born with, with cognitive difficulties and they never come out of a coma since day one, I mean, those are extraordinary circumstances. We're not, we're not going to touch that right now. We're just talking about during the normal course of everyday life within the spectrum of well, if average. If you're born into the and let's say for some reason you really get interested in studying about Jesus. Yeah. Are you just never going to get him? I mean, are you never? Yeah. So, so you cannot. Here's another way of answering that question. No person can override the decree of God. So you you cannot shift from one category to the other. You, you don't have the power to. No one has the power to override God. To, to change their status from elect to reprobate or from to change their status from reprobate to elect. It's a work of God. It's called uh, monergism, which means one working. It's, it's God that does all the work. Yeah. That's what I was going to say. There are some specific individuals that have been predestined to damnation right. and therefore have absolutely no chance of responding favorably to the gospel. Correct. Right, and we'll get to the most common objections of, of why that seems problematic. We're going to get to that. Yes? I was just going to say, and I don't know if this is correct, God knows our days. He knows yes. the number of our days. He knows exactly what is going to happen to us, and our days are set before we are born. So if we are elect, you're not going to die before you accept Christ because he knows what choices you're going to make. We have our free will, but in his infinite wisdom, he knows the choices that our free will is going to make because he, our days are already over. It's been a hard thing for me to wrap my brain around. I don't even know if I have correct. Does that yeah. sound like... Yeah, God, God numbers our days. He knows everything. He's decreed everything. Not, not only does he know everything, he's decreed it. Okay. I just snapped my fingers. God decreed that before the eternity of, of the world. Yeah, so it's not like you can see into the future and know that we're going to respond favorably. He has already ordained it. Yes. Yeah, we, God has acted in the middle of his passive. If he's just looking and identifying what Pastor said, he would be passive. He's just identifying what he sees. That would be 
us moving God to act. That's right. The other one, God is active, monitors him where he's doing all the works, everything he's already placed in the world he wants Then that brings up that thing, why share the gospel? You've heard that. Why share the gospel with anyone? Yeah. Because that is how God has chosen to ordinarily work, is Mm -hmm. through the proclamation or the reading of his word. Right. I mean, Romans tells us, how can they believe if they have not heard? You may be sharing the gospel with an elect and don't know it. Right. 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 God does not normally or ordinarily appear in a cloud and speak to someone and says, follow me, repent of your sins. He uses human agency. No, I've read that. I don't believe that. Yeah. That thing about it. My gift, is, my gift is a magical What did Charles Spurgeon say? If the elect had a yellow stripe on their back, I wouldn't spend my time preaching the gospel. I'd spend my time looking up the back of shirts to look mm-hmm. for the yellow stripe. Mm-hmm. But since they don't, we spend our time preaching the gospel. Hmm. Right. That's so wonderful and so sad. Wow. Right. Yeah. That's so sad. Yeah. Um, let's let's keep going. This is these are the scriptural grounds for um, reprobation. John ten twenty some of them. John ten twenty six. But you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. Jesus said that. You don't believe because you're not smart enough. No. You don't believe because you're just not ready yet. No. Because you're not among my sheep. You're not among the elect. Jude four for certain people have crept in unnoticed into the church who long ago were designated for this condemnation. That's reprobation. Certain people who long ago, before the foundation of the world, were chosen for this condemnation. Ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord Jesus Christ. And then Revelation 17.8 And the dwellers on the earth whose names have not been written in the book of life from the foundation of the world will marvel to see the beast. Again, that eternity past, before the foundation of the world, it's been decreed by God. It's not something that happens real time. So just as election pertains to specific individuals, so also reprobation pertains to specific individuals. It's not based on foreseen unbelief or foreseen bad deeds. God does not look down the corridor of time and say, whoa, there's an axe murderer. I'm not going to pick him. It's not based on unforeseen bad deeds. Now this is important. The sin and unbelief of the reprobate is the cause of their damnation, but it is not the cause of their reprobation. Let me say that again. The the sin and unbelief of the reprobate is the cause of their damnation, but it is not the cause of their reprobation. So when God send someone to hell, it, they are receiving the penalty for their sin. That's, that's the cause of their sin. They're, they're, the wages of sin is death. Okay? But it's not why he chose them to be reprobate. It's not the corridor of time looking down. Back. There's a difference. Okay? Could you repeat that? 
It's not the sin and unbelief of the reprobate that cause, or excuse me, the sin and unbelief of the reprobate is the cause of their damnation, but it is not the cause of their reprobation. There's nothing than someone that moves God to choose them for reprobation. It still proceeds purely from God's good pleasure and the purpose of his will. It's not random. Okay, election guarantees salvation. Let's look at the golden chain here. Romans 8, 29 through 30. And then we'll stop. Uh, Romans 8, 29 through 30. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. And it's been called the golden chain because uh, it teaches us that when God elects or predestines someone for salvation, the possibility of that person losing their salvation does not exist. What, what God decrees from eternity past cannot be changed. Uh, since God is the one doing the choosing, the calling, the justifying, the glorifying, and by his power, and since his promises, he promises he will do it, and since God's word never fails and he is all-powerful, the salvation of the elect is guaranteed. That's why it's called the golden chain. It can't be broken. God's doing all the work. If, if God says, I'm choosing someone and I'm going to save them, and th- there's no possibility that that's not going to happen. God is not impotent. God is not unable to save his elect. God cannot be thwarted, not by Satan, not by ourselves, not by our sin. It's because the salvation is accomplished not by anything in us, but by the work of Jesus Christ. So the question, um, the the original question of this topic was, am I elect? Um, it's a really a question about salvation. If you're asking the question, am I elect? It's dealing with the issue of assurance. It is. Uh, so to be among the elect, excuse me, to not be among the elect is to be among the reprobate. To be among the elect is to be saved. So to ask, am I elect, is to act, ask, am I saved or not? That's how inseparably joined they are. So it's a question of assurance. And we're going to get to that question And we're going to begin next week with the most common objection based on this verse right here to to why um, some people believe uh, in something other than the doctrine of election. Okay, so we're going to close. It's 12 o'clock. I won't keep you past 12. I know we had a long service. We'll pick up next week, and hopefully next week's service won't go particularly long, and we should have a full hour to tackle this. Okay, so let's close with a prayer, and we'll finish up. Uh, Father, once again, thank you for this time together, uh, for the good, uh, robust discussion we've had, for for questions. Father, we thank you that your word has answers, and we're going to look to your word alone to answer these important questions. Uh, Keep us safe until we meet again next week. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.